you have your Bibles, turn one last time to Revelation chapter 3. Pull your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International app. For those of you who are joining us live online right now, welcome. Thanks for being with us online. We are in the final week, week 8, of a series through Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 called Letters from Jesus, studying these ancient letters that Jesus wrote to and sent to the royal postal route in western Turkey. 2,000 years ago, if the Roman emperor wanted to over here in Italy send a decree to all the Roman Empire, they would walk it up through areas of Macedonia and down into Greece, but they get on a boat in Athens and they would take it to Ephesus and they set up a postal route, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. They knew if these seven cities received the edict of the emperor, the whole world would know about it. So Jesus took the the postal route that had been set up by the Roman emperor. And he said, I'll use the same thing. I'll send letters to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, because if this part of the world learns what Jesus wants for his church, the whole world will learn what Jesus wants for his church. And we've been studying the last seven weeks what Jesus wants for his church. Today, we're in the seventh of seven letters. We were told in Revelation chapter one, if we'd have a spirit to receive everything we learned, and if we'd be willing to press into Jesus so we could apply what we learned, that our hearts and our lives would be blessed and they'd be changed by Jesus. That's our goal. Today we're in Revelation chapter 3, the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. Before we dig into God's word, could we just bow our heads for a moment of prayer? And would you whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. It's important to me you understand we're reading the word of God. These are not my words to you. They're God's words to you. He has a purpose in your life for you to hear them today. So would you just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And would you open your heart and your ears to hear? Speak to us, God, from your word. Show us what you have ordained for us to hear on this day for our life and our faith journey. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Revelation 3, starting in verse 14, says this to the angel. We know that word means ministering servant, probably pastor, to the pastor of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you. To buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and I discipline so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. To the one who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious And sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've read what the Spirit has said to the previous six churches. We've now read what the Spirit has said to the church at Laodicea. Let me introduce you to this city that was having a letter written to its church 2,000 years ago. Laodicea was founded by the Seleucid ruler Antiochus II and named after his first wife, 
sometime before 253 BC. The Seleucids were one of four kind of global empires that took over Alexander the Great's kingdom. You say, how do you know the city was founded before 253 BC? Because that's when Antiochus II married his second wife. And apparently in antiquities, your second wife doesn't let you name things after your first wife. So that's how they date the city being named Laodicea. It's estimated that more than 20,000 Jews lived in Laodicea at the time of the first century, so many that their population was negatively noted in the Jewish Talmud. The Jewish Talmud was a list of Jewish documents, very important, written between 2nd century B.C. and 500 A.D., and one of the rabbis said the Jews of Laodicea were spiritually lazy. It was a massively prosperous city with notable banking institutions because of its key location along north-south and east-west trading routes. We find out that the famed Roman poet Cicero kept all of his bank notes there. It was famous for the soft black wool that it produced and exported. If you lived in Asia and wore a fine black sweatshirt or T-shirt or dress shirt or robe or dress, it probably came from Laodicea. And it was an important center of ancient medicine It actually had a medical school 2,000 years ago that specialized in the creation of an eye salve that it exported all over the world to help people who couldn't see very well. Much of those things, many of those things are going to be important as we look at what Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea. But here's what we're asking, like we have every week the last seven weeks. In this letter, what's revealed about Jesus? What can we learn about Jesus? What's uncovered in our hearts? What can we learn about ourselves? And what's the blessing to receive in addition to that? I'm going to leave you with three key truths today as we roll out of this series that I believe can be foundational in your spiritual life now and into eternity. Let's look at the first big area. What's revealed about Jesus as we study this letter? Who's Jesus introduced as? Look at verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Jesus is revealed to the church of Laodicea in three ways as the amen, as the faithful and true witness, and as the ruler of God's creation. But if you have a pen, I want you to circle the words the amen. This is the only time in the Bible Jesus is referred to as the amen. So let me ask you a question. When do you on a regular basis say amen? Really two areas. One, when we finish praying, we just all said amen a minute ago. Probably your use of amen during the week mostly happens if you pray for your meals right before you get ready to eat your meal. That's probably when you say amen. Or in our culture, every now and then if somebody says something you really agree with, amen can be a statement of like co-signing something with confirmation. Like I, I agree with that too. Like if somebody would have said to me this week, I'm so glad that fall weather is finally here, I would have said Amen. Like, I'm ready for summer to be over. I could wear a hooded sweatshirt every day of my life. Amen. I'm glad fall weather is here. If somebody would have said to me Wednesday, I'm so glad that it finally stopped raining, I would have said, Amen. Like, me too. I'm so glad it finally quit raining. If somebody came up to me today and said, Patrick Mahomes is going to kick Tom Brady's butt tonight in Foxborough, many of you would say, Amen. That's the most spiritual our church has ever sounded. And we're talking about the chiefs, not even Jesus. That's the largest in seven years. Amen. That our church has ever said, but you get it. Like, amen is like that. Like, I agree with that. That's what amen means. Like I agree. And I am proud to agree. Amen with that. When Jesus is described as the amen, the faithful and true witness, here's what that means. It means to be in agreement with absolute certainty on who Jesus is and what Jesus says. That's what it means. When it says that Jesus is the amen, it means when we think of Jesus, anything he says, anything we do, 
we should be thinking like, amen, I, I confirm that, I agree with that. The amen means to be in agreement with absolute certainty on who Jesus is and what Jesus says, which means today's first key truth is this. It's what I want you to hang on to for the rest of your spiritual life. You can believe that Jesus came from God to connect you to God through his life and teaching. You can believe that and you can believe it with certainty because Jesus is the amen. You can believe that Jesus came from God to connect you to God through his life and through his teaching. You say, says who? Not Jesus. So what do you mean? Jesus, Jesus didn't say he came from God to connect me to God. No, he did. But he said, don't listen to him because you shouldn't listen to people who talk about themselves. Instead, in John chapter 5, a group of people came to him and said, how can we know that you came from God to connect us to God? And here's what he said. He said, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. That doesn't mean Jesus wasn't being honest. This was a legal position in court 2,000 years ago. You cannot testify on your own behalf. Jesus is saying, even if I went before court and said, I came from God to connect you to God, that could not be legally verified. You would always have to have two or three other witnesses. So Jesus said, don't listen to me because we know that legally doesn't work. There are other witnesses. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know his testimony is about me true. You have sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he's testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, like the miraculous stuff. Those testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me, Uh, has himself testified concerning me. You didn't hear his voice or see his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe the one that he sent, but he testified to. And verse 39 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Today's first key truth is you can believe with certainty that Jesus came from God to connect you to God. And Jesus said, here are my witnesses. You need to have at least two in court. I'll give you four, and one of them is not myself. Here are the four witnesses of Jesus. The first, John the Baptist, a man whose birth was publicly supernatural. His dad, Zechariah, was a priest, and he went in one day to do his ministry in the temple. And there he was kind of withheld for a time by an angel so that everyone waiting outside knew something spiritual was happening. And when Zechariah came out, he couldn't speak anymore. And for nine months, he couldn't speak until his wife, who was not supposed to be able to have a baby, had a baby. And when she finally had the baby, Zechariah wrote on a tablet, his name is supposed to be John. And then once again, supernaturally and very publicly, he was able to speak every Everyone knew there was something supernaturally spiritual about John the Baptist and his birth. And John the Baptist, who everyone knew God had a special mission for because of how publicly supernatural his birth was, says, Jesus came from God to connect you to God. But Jesus said, you don't have to believe John the Baptist. You can believe the miracles that I do. Can anyone heal the lame? Can anyone make blind people see? Can anyone raise dead people to life? Can anyone take a few loaves of fish and a few pieces of bread and feed 15,000 people? Like if I weren't supernatural, like do normal people do that? 
If I didn't come from God to connect you to God, how could I do those things? But you don't have to believe those. You could believe in God speaking from heaven because at my baptism, the heavens opened and God literally thundered down. A voice spoke from heaven and said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. You ignored it because you don't believe in me, but it was there. But even if you don't believe in that, he said, there are thousand year old written predictions. We call them scripture. He called them scriptures, our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. He said, there are a thousand-year-old predictions from God saying, I'm going to send someone who can connect you to me, someone from heaven to connect you to me so you can go to heaven. And here's how you'll know who he is. More than 800 different prophecies. Jesus said, go check my Wikipedia biography against all those things, and you'll learn that like we are one and the same person. You can believe with certainty. Jesus came from God to connect you to God. But not everyone believes that. But Jesus wants you to know that, and he wants you to have these witnesses. Why? Because you can use these witnesses to challenge those who challenge Jesus. You can do it respectfully, but you have a reason to believe what you believe and why you believe it, and you can use these witnesses to challenge those who challenge Jesus. So every now and then I'll meet someone who says, I don't believe Jesus came from God. I don't believe Jesus is God's son. I don't believe we're supposed to live our lives the way Jesus says we're supposed to live our lives. And I'll say, you have my attention. You have my respect. Why should I believe you? We can have that conversation. You don't believe it. I do. You have my attention. You have my respect. Why should I believe what you say? And they'll begin to tell me why I should believe them. But I always go back to these witnesses of Jesus because I want to know if their witnesses are as strong as my witnesses. And they'll usually talk about a book they read, a professor that they heard, someone in their life who kind of spoke into them, a teacher that they had, a blog that they read, a podcast that they listened to. And I'll say, those are great. I understand God uses messengers to give truth. So the guy you're reading, the guy you're listening to, the guy you're following, was his birth like publicly supernatural like did everyone know before he was born like god sent this person to reveal some new truth and then when he was born was it confirmed publicly that god sent him to reveal that new truth and they usually say oh i don't think so it's like okay well we could cross that one off you don't need it um i know you're giving me new spiritual truth why should i believe you have you ever done a miracle to prove to me that what you're telling me is straight from God. Has God given you anything to back up your claims so I can believe you? Do you have any miracles that you can do? Have you ever multiplied food? Like, have you ever ordered an eight-count at Chick-fil-A and got 10? Like, I, like, I'll even give you that. Like, have you ever got a medium fry and they give you a large? And it's like, wow, I think God has allowed me to bring more food. Like, I'll even give you that. Does that even happen? And usually they're like, well, no, I, like, I, I don't have any miracles to prove that what I'm saying is from God. Then I'll say, well, has God, ever, has God ever spoken about you from heaven? Like, was there a point in your life where you were standing up talking to people and like the skies parted and God spoke from heaven and said, listen to him. I've told him to tell everyone what to believe. And almost everyone I've met says, no, that's never happened. And I say, okay, well, but there's gotta be some thousand-year-old written predictions, right? I mean, somewhere along the way, if God created you to tell me new truth, somewhere he would have told me, would have left me a trail to say that I was supposed to listen to you. Do you have, do you have any of that? And they usually say no. And I'll tell them, you have my attention, you have my respect. You don't have my belief because my guy did this. And until your guy does this, I'm going to stick with my guy because he seems to be supernatural. He seems to come from God. And I think only someone who comes from God can probably tell me how to get to God. So I'm, I'm going to stick with my guy. See, the church at Laodicea had Jesus revealed to them as the amen, 
the I am certain he came from God to connect me to God. You can believe that with certainty. That's who Jesus is. Who are we? Look at number two. What's uncovered in our hearts? Some interesting challenges to the church at Laodicea. You should know the church at Laodicea is the only church of the seven churches in Revelation with nothing good said about it. You can go read the other six. All of them, God said, you do at least one good thing. The church at Laodicea, he just skipped right past that. Like they weren't given one star on their chart. There was nothing good that they did. They just, Jesus just dug right into the bad stuff. But within the bad stuff, we see three things that I think can stretch us, can challenge us, can confirm our faith or confirm our need for faith. So I want to show you three things in this letter. First, I want to show you the situation that had presented itself. We see that the spiritual temperature of the church at Laodicea was useless. That's what verses 15 and 16 said. Jesus said, the spiritual temperature that you're running at right now is useless to me. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the people at the church at Laodicea would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying because they were a city that had a water problem. Laodicea was built on a plateau and had no natural water source near it. So they took the hot springs of Hierapolis. Hierapolis had springs that came out of the ground at more than 120 degrees Fahrenheit that were used for healing, that were used in medicine, that were used in treatment. And they said, we're going to pump these hot springs six miles down to Laodicea. And then they had Colossae, the New Testament book of Colossians was written to this city, who had cold springs from a deep river basin that served to really be a source of refreshment in hot days in the Middle East. And they said, we're going to take these by aqueduct 10 miles west to Laodicea. The hot springs were going to bring six miles south. The cold springs were going to bring 10 miles west and by the time the hot got there by the time cold got there they were all lukewarm you could dip the bucket in the well and it came up and you wouldn't know whether it started hot or started cold because it was all the same temperature and the temperature was useless it wasn't hot enough to provide any healing for anybody it wasn't cool enough to provide any refreshment for anybody and because of the six mile journey and because of the 10 mile journey it was now filled with a bacteria because it just sat around and it physically made people sick. It wasn't healing, it wasn't refreshing, and it made people sick. Jesus said the words, I'll spit you out of my mouth, but that's not the Greek language. The Greek language is, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip and drank bad water. It can make you very, very sick. I don't know if you've ever had food poisoning. You don't choose whether or not to spit out food poisoning. It just comes out. And Jesus says spiritual lukewarm temperature in people. He didn't say it makes me angry. He said it makes me sick. And I can't have spiritual, spiritually lukewarm people connected to me. Those two things repel each other. And Jesus says this is the condition of your church. There's no one in your church who has a hot enough faith to provide healing for anyone in your community. There's nobody in your church that has a cold enough kind of source of their faith that it can be refreshing for anyone. In that case, both the hot and the cool springs are good. 
Some people think hot meant good, cold meant bad, which means Jesus could be saying there's nobody who has faith hot enough for, to even know for sure that Jesus is in their life. And at the same time, there's no one with a heart cold enough that people know they absolutely know Jesus, uh, need to know Jesus. He said, I look at you and your temperature spiritually is just lukewarm. Nobody can tell whether you're on or off. You're kind of, you're all going to church. This letter's written to a church. But nobody's really healing anyone spiritually. Nobody's really refreshing anyone spiritually. Like you're all just kind of sitting around and Jesus said, your church makes me sick spiritually. That's the situation in Laodicea. The temperature of their church made them useless. Say, how'd that happen? Look at the evaluation. This happened because the church at Laodicea's spiritual assessment of themselves was wrong. They looked at themselves and thought one thing spiritually. God looked at them and saw something different. It happened because the evaluation went wrong. The church at Laodicea's spiritual assessment of themselves was wrong. Look at verses 17 and 18. He said, you say that you're rich. And they were. It's a very, very wealthy city. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. He said, physically, that's probably true. But here's what you look like spiritually. But you don't realize that you're wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. So here's what I counsel you to do. I counsel you to buy from me gold. Refined in the fire, spiritual gold, so you can become rich. I counsel for you to buy white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And I counsel you to put salve on your eyes so that you can see. There's a second key truth in today's message that that all of us are aware of, but none of us own. Let me say it again. So second key truth in this that all of us are aware of, but none of us own. Let me give you the truth and you understand why I'm saying that. There are some people who go to church who are not Christians. Everyone knows that. Nobody would say that's them. There's some people who go to church who aren't Christians. We all know that. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, on the last day there's going to be people who thought their whole life they were Christians who come to me and they, they won't have been. Their life will have proved that they weren't Christians. And in Laodicea, it was really hard to tell who could be a Christian, who couldn't be a Christian because everyone just looked the same. But they all went to church. Here's what Dr. John MacArthur, who's a Greek expert on the New Testament, said. He said, there's no one further from the truth than the one who makes an idle profession of Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus. I go to church. But never experiences genuine saving faith. No one is harder to reach for Christ than a false Christian. They don't think, that, they, don't think they need him because they think they already have him. So you say, well, how do you, how do you know? How do you know who's false and who's real? Honestly, I don't think you can. I don't think I could ever judge you or you could ever judge me. I don't think it's supposed to work that way. But Jesus said we all could judge ourselves. So Jesus says, here's how you can know for you. Don't use this on someone else, but here's how you can know for you. Real Christianity changes three things in your life. Again, don't use this on your husband or on your wife. Don't use this on your neighbor. Don't look at them and try to figure out where they are. Use this on you. Real Christianity changes three things in your life. Number one, it changes what you place your security in. People at Laodicea said, we got everything we need. We don't need God. In Christianity, we say we have everything we need, but it's because we have God. And all of our security is in Jesus. Psalm 23 says it this way, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need, which allows me to freely live for Jesus and place all of my security in him. You say, how do I know whether my security is in something other than Jesus? Here's how you can know when your security is in Jesus. Paul says you live with a godly contentment. Godliness 
with contentment. So what are some actions that can prove that a rich generosity in your life towards others? This giving spirit, because you really anchor in God, not finances. What are some things that prove godliness with contentment, a deep satisfaction with where you are in life and not the constant need to upgrade this, upgrade this, upgrade, but a deep satisfaction that Jesus has me exactly where he wants me with exactly what he wants me to have, and I can be content with that. It's who he created me to be. What you place your security in tells you a lot about who you are anchored in or where your faith is anchored. Number two, how you live your life. Jesus says one of the things that allows you to see whether or not you're really following him is looking at how you live your life. In Laodicea, they said, we want to look like everybody else so we can fit in and be comfortable. They all wore black wool, nice black sweatshirts, nice black t-shirts, nice black dress shirts, nice black dresses, nice black robes, nice black coats. They got the nice soft black wool in Laodicea. Jesus says, they all look one way. I want you to look different. You wear white. I want you to stand out because if you're really following Jesus, you stand out in Christianity. We don't want to look like everyone else so we can fit in and be comfortable. We choose to look different so that we can be impactful. Christians choose impact over comfort. And they say, I'll be willing to look different. I'll be willing to have a life that looks different. I'll be willing to have a life that values different things. And at the exact same time, I'll have a spirit that makes it look attractive I'll have an openness that invites people into dialogue. So I can always say when any question is asked from me, you have my attention, you have my respect. But let's have a conversation about what I believe and what you believe. How you live your life can tell you whether or not you're genuinely walking with Jesus. And then number three, how you see things in life. According to Jesus, he said, people who think they already have all the answers don't need me. But people who will admit They don't see things clearly. Those are those that I've come to. And Laodicea, they said, we got it all figured out. Not only can we see, we help everyone else see. But in Christianity, we say only Jesus can show us truly the way and the truth and the life. In Christianity, we try to become Colossians 3, 2 Christians. We set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. We have the mindset that probably what we have always been told before we met Jesus could be wrong And we want to take everything we've ever known or believed to be true, and we want to compare it with what Jesus says we should know to be true. And then we want to figure out how to live with a heavenly mindset even while we live on earth. Jesus said people who say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not changing the way I see anything in life. People who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to change the way I live my life. People who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but really my life is lived to make money or to or to be with family, or to do that. He said those people, they might call themselves Christians, they go to church, but they're not Christians. And it's interesting, because when we look at the situation and we look at the evaluation, we think that when Jesus shows up at a church like this, the way I was raised, the way I was taught, is that if Jesus showed up at a church who, that was filled with people who weren't Christians... If Jesus showed up at a church full of people who said, we got everything we need, we don't even need Jesus, but we like doing church, it makes us feel good. The way I was taught is that Jesus would like show up and shut that church down. But he does the exact opposite. In verses 19 and 20, we see the invitation. Jesus does not stop pursuing those that he loves. In verses 19 and 20, he sees this church filled with people who don't know him, who don't love him, who don't even need him. And he doesn't show up to shut them down. He shows up to... Invite them into relationship. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So every now and then I got to talk to you tough. 
So be earnest and repent because here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they'll eat with me. Based on how I was raised, if you would have told me Jesus was at the door of this church, I would have said it was to hang up a going out of business sign. If you would have told me Jesus was at the door of this church, I would say it was to stop anyone from going in. But what Jesus says is I'm at the door of this church and here's why. Because I'd like to go meet those people. I'd like to really get to know those people. I know they think they don't need me. I know they're right now not willing to see things differently or to live life differently. I know they think that they can provide for themselves based on how hard they work. I get all that. But boy, I'd really like to go in and meet them. If they would open their hearts, we could really have a good relationship with one another. You see, here's what you need to understand this morning, regardless of where you are in life. If you're not dead, Jesus is not done knocking at the door of your heart. You say, how do I know if Jesus still wants to be close to me? If your heart is beating, he's knocking at the door. What if I've told him my whole life I don't need him? He's knocking at the door. What if I've told him I'll never change my mind about anything? He's knocking at the door. What if, I, what if I've worked my whole life to provide for myself so I don't have to rely on God? He's knocking at the door of your heart. And he says, I'd like to come in so that we can connect. And maybe the whole reason God had you be in church today was so that he could uncover the reality that you go to church, but you're not a Christian, but he still loves you and he has more for you. Maybe God brought you here today not to slap your wrist, but to shake your hand and say, hey, there, like, there's more to this than you, think you're is, than you think there is. You call yourself a Christian, but you're chasing security in your job. You're chasing security in your family. You're chasing security in your finances. You're chasing security in, in your friendships. You call yourself a Christian, but you've been unwilling to change your life by the least little bit. You want to be so socially comfortable that you've been unwilling to change your life so that you can become spiritually impactful. You call yourself a Christian. But the way you see life and the things you value are not the way I want you to see life and the way I want you to value that you call yourself a Christian, but you've just been going to church. I have so much more for you if you will be brought into relationship with me today. And maybe God brought you here today so that you could learn this and really once and for all open the door of your heart and say, all right, come in and let's, let's try this Christianity thing. That's one of the blessings we can receive, but we also in verse 21 see the blessing Jesus promises if we'll open his heart to us, if we'll open our heart to him in Revelation 321, he says, To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and sat down with my father on his throne. Really important phrase here in verse 21. If you have your pen, you might underline these words, sit with me. Because Jesus invites you to sit with him, not at a table you're gonna have dinner with, but on his throne. Jesus invites you to sit with him. And that's a really important spiritual phrase. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, he uttered seven phrases from the cross. The last one was one word that we translate with three English words. The last word that Jesus uttered from the cross was the word tetelestai. It means it's finished. It's accomplished. It's done. As Jesus hung on the cross, the last thing he said was, it is finished. The title of our Bible study today. And then he breathed his last and then he was taken off the cross. He was put in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Forty days later, he went to heaven, where more than a dozen times the New Testament says he is seated at the right hand of God. As a matter of fact, the only time Jesus is pictured as standing is when Stephen is being martyred, and he's welcoming Stephen to heaven. Every other time Jesus is pictured seated 
at the right hand of God. You say, why? He was seated because he was done. He was seated because he was finished. He was seated because his mission that he came to fulfill had been accomplished. And for Jesus to say, one day you're going to sit with me, means this. One day this tough spiritual journey you've been on, it's going to be done. It's going to be done and you're going to receive the reward of your faith. All those days getting up early to read your Bible, one day that's going to be over. All those prayers you pray for things in faith, you ask God to move and one day those will be done. All the hours you serve in church, getting there early, staying late, those will be done. All the money you give in the offering, all the mission trips you've gone on and taken vacation time to go on, all those vacation Bible school and youth camp weeks that you've served, all the spiritual effort that you're putting in, Jesus said, one day it's going to be done. And you're going to sit right down beside me and just like I finished, you finished. And we're going to be together and it's finally going to be done. To sit with Jesus is to have a posture of, con- of completion and is to have the privilege of sharing. We're promised a posture of completion. In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says he's confident that every Christian who had Jesus begin a good work and then will carry it on to completion until that day of Christ Jesus where we sit down with him. But there's also this privilege of sharing. Jesus prayed on the night that he would be betrayed, the next morning he'd be crucified. He prayed that we would be with him so we could have everything that he had. In John 17, 24, he said, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. Man, I want them to see my glory. I want them to see everything that we see. I want them to be finished. And I want them to be with me too, which leads us to today's third key truth. One day our life for Jesus will become life with Jesus. So keep pushing. Keep getting up and reading your Bible. Keep going to your men's Bible study and your women's Bible study. Keep memorizing those verses. Keep giving in the offering. Keep serving before church and during church and after church. Keep going on mission trips. Keep going. Because one day you get to sit down and be finished. You get to be completed. And you get the privilege of sharing what Jesus has for you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, regardless of what you thought God thought of you, here's what he thinks about you. I'm at the door of your heart. I'd love to come in and be close to you. Maybe you're a Christian who somehow, through the course of a very busy life, has just drifted a little bit. And if Jesus took your spiritual temperature today, he would say, ooh, your temperature's really lukewarm. You're not hot enough in your faith to bring anyone healing. You're not cool enough in your faith to bring anyone refreshing. You're not hot enough in your faith to let people know you really love Jesus, and you're not cold enough to let them know you've walked away from the faith. You're just, really, no one can tell anything. You're just kind of there. Jesus says, I'm only telling you this because I love you. Those that I love, I I, I rebuke, I confront, I remind them to step back into a healthy temperature with me. Maybe you need to recommit. Or maybe today, Jesus said that he wants every Christian to stand out. You know, as a Christian, you'll never stand out in the world until you're willing to stand up in church. And the way you do that, according to New Testament Christianity, is to be publicly baptized. Jesus, I want you to wear white in the world. I want you to look different outside the walls of the church. You'll never stand out outside the church until you have the guts to stand up inside the church and say, Hi, my name is Christian and I'm a believer in Jesus and I want everyone to know that. If you're here today and you've been thinking for weeks, months, years about getting baptized, Jesus is saying, I need you to stand out, but to stand out, you've got to be willing to stand up. 
What are you waiting for? When are you going to get baptized and tell people you love me? You're following me. You're with me. Once you do it in church, it's easier to do outside the church. Before we started this message, you asked God to speak to you and you told him that you'd be listening. So what did he say? You told God to speak to you. You told him you'd be listening. So what did he say and what are you going to do about that this morning? Would you pray with me as we consider those questions?